Thank you for being present and thank you for uh, tuning in if you're listening in uh, from your home uh, this evening. Revelation chapter 7, we will be looking at these few verses together. The big overall theme in the book of Revelation, we could just sing it, O victory in Jesus. O victory in Jesus. And God through John is uh, sending different kinds of messages to remind those early saints that they have a victory in Jesus, not only in this life, but in that which is uh, to come. We want to be reminded as we uh, read early on a few weeks ago from Revelation chapter 1 that these messages are signified to us. They are symbolized. There's a lot of symbols involved. Uh, This doesn't uh, scare us all that much because the way we interpret symbols is we take what we do know and then we try to seek to find meanings to these symbols from what we do know. In other words, the plain teaching of the Bible is what we use to interpret those things which are more uh, difficult. Oftentimes they're not as difficult as they may seem at first. And so we hope these different readings from Revelation will bring encouragement to us as they are meant uh, to do. You might recall that as John is able in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 and 6, he is invited to come up and see heaven, see the throne of God, and he is able to witness several things. One thing he sees is in the right hand of him on the throne, he sees a scroll. And that scroll is tied together with seven seals. And so when we get to Revelation chapter 7, six of those seals have been opened. But in chapter 7, there's a break. There's a break between chapter 6 and chapter 8 verse 1. So chapter 7 is a break between the opening of the seals. Uh, the, um, the book will return in chapter 8 to the opening of the seventh uh, seal. But right here in chapter 7, there's a break. There's an interlude between that. And John is, again, able to see uh, some great visions uh, up in heaven. Two major vi- visions here. Uh, chapter 7, 1 through 8 uh, deals with one vision. And then chapter 7, 9 through the rest of the chapter, 9 through 17 deals with a second uh, vision. Okay? And so with that in mind, let's get started. And we'll start with chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. And I'll just rely upon you to read as we fill in our blanks here and as we uh, discuss. All right? So the issue in chapter 7, verses 1 through 8 is, uh, what is the situation with the faithful saints on earth? What's the situation there? Uh, They're talking about that in heaven. Uh, What's the circumstances? Heaven is concerned about the faithful saints. Those who are resisting falling away, uh, what's what's their condition? And so that's discussed here in chapter 7 of 1 through 8. And so let's do a little reading to get get this started. Uh, Chapter 7 beginning in verse 1. 
After this, John said, after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, or the sea, or the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Okay. So, that gets us started. You see, the ideal here is that heaven is very much aware of what's going on on earth. And let's just notice this. The first blank is angels. Angels are God's ministering uh, agents or spirits. Okay. So angels are involved here. Uh, you've got angels uh, at the four corners of the earth, and they've got some power uh, to be able to harm uh, the conditions on earth. Okay, uh, But one angel says, now wait a minute, don't do that because we are focusing on God's people, uh, God's servants. But we need to remind ourselves that God is aware of us and that he often uses angels to minister in our behalf. Okay. And so the question on each of these points here, especially in verses 1 through 8, is going to be, how much do I believe that God is aware and God is working in our behalf? Okay. God has a special place in his heart for his people who are serving him faithfully. So angels are ministering spirits. They're God's agents. Let's compare a verse here. Turn over to Hebrews uh, chapter 1 for just a a second. Hebrews chapter 1. And you recall that the book of Hebrews is showing the superiority of Jesus. And here the superiority of Jesus over angels. And so that's why angels are being discussed in chapter 1. And so we get down to verse 13. Hebrews 1.13. He says, To which of the angels has he ever said, Sit on my right hand? Until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. Well, he doesn't say that to any angel, but he did say that to the Son. But then verse 14, Hebrews 1, 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? So God gives angels certain privileges to go and affect life on earth. But the thing here is what to remember is angels by the heart of God are told to protect the people of God, to keep an eye out for them. That doesn't mean that we'll live on earth forever, or it doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us, but we do know God's taking care of us either way. So angels are God's ministry spirits. The B part here is God has a special eye out special I, E-Y-E, for his people. Okay. I believe this is shown here in chapter 7, in verses 3 and 4, as the angels were having this conversation, and John is, uh, is uh, privileged or given the ability to listen in. The one angel rising from the uh, sun uh, is talking to the other four angels, said, do not harm the earth or the sea or the Trees, verse C and verse three, 
until uh, we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those sealed, 144,000. But what this is teaching us is that God has a special eye out for his people. What does Matthew 6.33 say? Okay, so seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay, that's the command. And then here's the blessing. And all these things, what things? What things? Food, clothing, okay. the necessities of life. This is a guarantee. This is... This is God saying, I'm taking care of you in the life on earth and in the life after the earth. I'm taking care of you. Turn over with me to 1 Peter 3. If you don't mind, look over to 1 Peter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. 1 Peter 3, verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. And the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. There's a clear line drawn, but the question is, do we believe it? Because... These are things that are invisible. These, these are things that we walk by faith and not by sight. These are things that, that we believe because God says these things. Okay. So God has a special eye out uh, for his people. Verse 3 and 4 of Revelation 7. C part here, God's people are a blessing to the world. You see, the picture here is that the angels being given the power to do some harm. The four winds of the earth, four corners of the earth, four winds of the earth, and it seems like they're about to affect life on earth, the trees, the sea, and all things therein, but the angel hollers out and he says, no, stop, wait, wait. So notice that because of the presence of Christians, then there was going to be a temporary, some kind of a temporary relief to whatever harm was coming to the earth. Okay. This teaches us that, that Christians, we as a people, we individually, we are blessings to life on earth. Okay. The Lord knows that. He knows that, that we are needed here. Okay. And one of the best things we can do for our nation, one of the best things we can do for the world, for life around us, for everybody around us, is to be a devoted Christian. Every day, day in, day out, whatever our circumstance, wherever we're at, because Christians bring a blessing to those around us. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for what? They shall inherit the earth. That's what that means, that those who are meek, those who submit to the Lord, bring blessings to the earth. Okay? They, they bring the opportunity for others to be able to enjoy the blessings of God as well.
Turn over, please, uh, to Matthew 24. This is a different setting, but it has the same principle. In Matthew 24, Jesus is, is warning of a destruction that would come early or during the first century upon the uh, city of Jerusalem. But notice this special uh, verse in Matthew 24, 22. I believe it is. Okay. So he's warning about uh, different um, tribulations coming upon uh, the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding area. But notice what he says in Matthew 24, 22. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved in those areas. But for the sake of the elect, that's us, that's, that's, that's the Christians. But for the sake of the elect, those days were cut short, will be cut short. Jesus is predicting what came in A.D. 70 from the Roman uh, armies. And that is a, a pretty good uh, destruction of Jerusalem uh, in about A.D. 70. Okay. So he's telling his disciples uh, that's coming, but also remember it could be worse, but because of the elect, because the Christians were there, those days would not be as bad as they could be. All this is to show that God's people are a blessing to those around us. We are blessings to the world. We need to keep that in mind. Okay? So then the D part is that God's people, of course, are sealed. Are sealed. That's brought out pretty plainly here. God's people are sealed individuals. Okay. And this is not difficult to understand. Turn back to uh, 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. We'll let that help us uh, see the meaning here. In 2 Timothy 2... Paul had been warning about different false uh, teachers. And then he comes down in contrast to those who would be leaving the faith. Notice what he says in 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 19. He said, but, but, but God's firm foundation stands sure, having this seal, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. See, See how well that fits in with Revelation 7? That's basically what's being said here in the first few verses of Revelation 7. The Lord knows those who are His. Okay. Bearing or having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Okay. And so, the Lord puts us in Him. He puts His protection over us, and He... He brings a spiritual seal to us whenever we name the name of the Lord. Okay. And so those being discussed here in Revelation 7 are those who have done what um, you know, those who are described here in 2 Timothy 2, 19 and 20 are basically the ones being described in Revelation 7. They have a seal upon them because they have named the name of the Lord. What does it mean to name the name of the Lord? Well, it means to call upon his name. Okay. Uh, when Ananias came to Saul, Acts twenty-two sixteen, he says, Why do you tarry? Arise, be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Okay. In Acts chapter uh, 2, 
and 21, Peter said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Peter kept preaching and he begins, he eventually tells us that to be saved, we've got to, be, we've got to repent and be baptized. Receive the forgiveness of sins, which is the same thing as salvation. So calling on the name of the Lord is basically repenting and being baptized. When we do this, when we submit to the Lord, then he places his seal upon us and we're standing on a sure foundation. Okay. That, that's like being in a house that cannot be shaken. Uh, suppose there was this house and an earthquake just came upon the territory and everything just crumbled but except for this house. It stood sure and, and firm. Okay. That's the life of a Christian. Even when things around our lives are crumbling, the Christian stays sure and steadfast and strong in the Lord. Can, can we see why a Christian would be a blessing to the world? So, the deep part here is God's people are sealed. They're sealed. And they have, a, they have um, this protection. They have this surety from God. Uh, when we read the word sealed, we can just hear God saying, you are one of mine. It's, it's idea of ownership. Idea of ownership. We, when we're baptized into Christ, we become his. Okay. And he becomes ours. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance, I belong to him. Okay. That's what this being sealed is all about. God's saying, you belong to me. And if you're faithful to me, then I'm going to take good care of you. All right. So the E part here is God's people are referred to here in Revelation 7 as the uh, spiritual Israel. Okay. I believe that's why he says here in Revelation 7 that um, those who are sealed are counted as being 144,000. Of course, symbolic number, not a not a literal number, but he goes on to say that the uh, 144,000 are made up of 12 tribes of Israel, or tribes of Israel. Okay. So if you square that and multiply it by 1,000, you come up with 144,000. That's just a, a way of saying here is a number that's very complete. But in a symbolic way, it would, it would have to refer to God's people again, and so, how is it that God's people are connected to the idea of Israel? Well, Christians are God's new Israel, God's spiritual Israel. The old physical Israel has been done away with at the cross, the Mosaic law at the cross. The, the land of Israel uh, is, has no spiritual value now. The nation of Israel... Uh, played its role in bringing Jesus uh, to the earth. And so, with all that being accomplished, Christians are referred to as the new spiritual Israel. So, turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. We don't say something unless we can read it in the scripture, of course. So, Romans uh, 2. <clears throat> Toward the end of that chapter... Verses 28 and 29, Romans 2. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. 
nor is circumcision outward and physical. That is, in this new age under Christ's law. Verse 29, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart now that you're under the new law. By the Spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. So can you see from those verses that God is pointing us to being, you know, not undergoing a physical circumcision like they did under the old law, old time, but rather a spiritual circumcision of the heart. Jesus' teachings in his death and his love uh, tug at our heart, ought to. And then from that breaking of the heart uh, comes uh, submission to his will. And when we do that, then we become part of God's people. Turn over to Galatians um, as another reference. Galatians chapter 3. And you remember uh, Paul saying, We're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of us as are baptized into Christ. Galatians 3.27. We have put on Christ. Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, you see that belonging there? If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, his offspring, spiritually speaking, and heirs according to the promise. So God brings that uh, to being in Christ. Now look at chapter 6 of Galatians 6. Galatians 6, chapter 6, and look at verse 16. As for all who walk by this rule, the rule of the gospel, as for all who walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. There's only one Israel of God today, and that's the spiritual Israel, and that's Christians from all over uh, the world. So, the issue here in Revelation 7, 1 through 8, is... um, what about God's people on earth who are being persecuted but who are remaining faithful? Uh, what's being done for them? What's being done for them, okay? They got the angels of God looking after them. They have the eye of the Lord upon them. Okay? They are to know that they are a blessing to the earth. They have been sealed with the seal of God. And they are to know that they are now the special people of God. Spiritual Israel of God. Okay? So that's the issue in chapter 7, 1 through 8. Now let's look at chapter 7 and verses 9 through 12. And this is about what John sees. This is kind of his second big vision. He gets to, in the first big vision, he gets to see these angels, the four winds of the earth, and one coming out of the rising of the sun. All visual symbolism, of course. But best way John has to describe it is how he did it in chapter 7 there. So the second vision is he gets to go back and see uh, basically people in heaven. Okay. So let's see what he sees when he looks again at heaven, at the heavenly scene verses 9 through 12. Okay. In case you're wondering, this is meant to encourage us. Okay. So John, first of all, a part, John sees a great multitude. And somebody tell me, how is that great multitude described there in verse 9? Just focus on the multitude. Okay. Such a multitude that no one could number. No one could number. And 
Uh, from what part of the earth had these had this multitude come from? Yeah, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, language from all over the earth. And of course, we know this to be the heart of God. First Timothy two four uh, says God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, amen to that. And and this is being seen again uh, right here in heaven. Hebrews two nine says that Jesus tasted death for every man, for every man. So the heart of God is for everyone who possibly will to be saved. Revelation twenty two seventeen. whosoever will, whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life uh, freely. Okay. Go, and, go and tell people. And Jesus gave the great commission in order to see uh, this come to pass. So he sees a great multitude of which cannot uh, even be Numbered. I, I think that's encouraging okay. to know that a lot of people throughout history and even now have obeyed the gospel and remain faithful. Much of that we do not see and much of that we will not know about, but nonetheless it doesn't make it untrue. It's very real. And so we'll have plenty of people to get to know in heaven. You wonder what are you going to be doing in heaven? All these multitudes of people, okay? It's going to be your job to get to know every one of them. How long is that going to take you, Brother Jerry? Okay. Quite a while. Probably an eternity, right? Which eternity can't be spent up anyway. But just a multitude of people uh, there, okay? Uh, if you're not a people person now, you probably need to become one. You're going to be surrounded by a bunch of them there uh, in heaven, okay? But there'll be all types of people, so you'll... You'll be happy in heaven. John sees a great multitude and then be part. John sees a multitude standing before the throne. Standing before the throne. In my mind, I ask the question, can this really be? Can it really be? Do I really believe this? Okay. But the multitude of people in heaven will be before the very throne of God. And... We don't have to guess about this. If you look in your Bible back to um, Revelation 3, 20 and 21, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame, and sat down with my father on his throne. So would it be that God would, would offer us such a promise as that? And so he says that. And so the multitude of the faithful are before the throne. This is not surprising because we just went through Revelation chapter 4. And that's what John saw. He saw the throne of God. He saw the rainbow coming out and the... Thunders and the lightnings evidencing the, the power of the Lord there at the throne. Um, that's where the faithful are. And that's where the faithful uh, will be. It's a tremendous thought. I don't know about you, but it's a tremendous thought uh, to me. That's the presence of the Lord. And you can't really get any more special than to be at the throne of God. How can one then doubt that God would love them? 
if he holds out such a promise. So John sees a multitude before the throne, and in the sea part, John sees them clothed in what? White robes. White robes. White is a symbol of what? Okay. Be both purity and victory. Purity and victory. Let's, let's notice that. Look at... Um, Look at Revelation chapter 3 and uh, verse uh, 18. Jesus to the church at Laodicea. Revelation three eighteen. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, spiritually rich, and have white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes. So in other words, he's encouraging them to put away their wickedness and in that sense put on white clothes, white garments, symbol of uh, purity. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. It says, um, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. So that would be a symbol of victory. So you see there that having on these white robes is both. In other words, we who are pure, and the Lord really convicts us here, convicts me, uh, those who are pure, seeking to be holy before Him, will then receive that robe of victory, which we want to receive. All right? God, John sees them clothed in white robes. And in the D part, John sees them with blank in their hands. What's in their hands? Palm branches. Palm branches. So what does that remind you of? Say? Right. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, they were using palm branches as a celebration of His uh, entering that city for the final time. So palm branches are a symbol of celebration. Turn over to John 12 as a parallel reference there. John 12. Notice this scene beginning in uh, verse 12 of John 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, John 12, verse 12, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So there you go. And a similar scene, of course, is recorded by Matthew, Matthew uh, 21. Getting these branches off these trees as a symbol of celebration. He's here. He's here. When we get to heaven, the celebration will be that we're there with Him. We're there with Him. And so, yeah, they're there and they're celebrating um, just being there. Okay. So that's the D part. The E part, John sees and hears them praising God and the Lamb because of their salvation. Look ye here at uh, Revelation 7, 10 through 12. 
besides being able to get to know all the multitude that are there, we get to be praising the Lord. Notice it. Notice it here. They are crying out with a loud voice. Revelation 7, beginning in verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. So let it be. Amen. So that's what John sees. John sees a great multitude. He sees them standing before the throne. He sees them uh, clothed in white robes. He sees them with palm branches in their hands. All these are symbols. And then he sees them praising the Lord forever and ever. Honor, might, power, blessing to the Lord. And then the last part here is Revelation uh, 7, 13 through 17. I call this the Q&A, question and answer. But in this question and answer, we get another great vision of heaven. So what is the question from chapter 7, 13 to 17? What's the question that is asked here? Okay. Who are these who are clothed in these white robes and where did they come from? It's kind of implied here that John was uh, curious about this. But one of, notice how this is said here, at least in the English Standard Version. It says, one of the elders addressed me, John saying, who are these? And then John said to him, sir, you know, you know. Um, back in Ezekiel, when Ezekiel is asking, is asked by the Lord, or someone representing the Lord, can these dry bones live? Ezekiel had a good answer. Lord, thou knowest. That's a good answer. John had a good answer here. He said, you know, in other words, who am I to speak, Lord? Tell me. You tell me who these are. And of course, that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to tell John who these are who are arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? Seems like the second part of that question is answered first. Notice the A part here. These are those who are coming out of a great tribulation. For the word great there. Notice that in verse 14. He said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Alright. So ever since Christianity dawned upon the earth, there has been tribulation upon the saints. And to a greater and lesser degree, it's always been that way. Let's notice that in some verses. Uh, Running back with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. You might look at verse 33. Jesus said, John 16, 33. He said to his disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. That's, that's a great statement in itself. In me, the Lord said, you may have peace. That's what we want for the world. 
In the world you have tribulation, Jesus says. But take heart. Do not fear. I have overcome the world. Jump in, let your eyes go back up to John 16, the first few verses there in John 16. Uh, Jesus said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Have you ever noticed that most evil things are done in, in the name of something good? And it will always be that way. Things which are not right always have the label on them of something that's good, sometimes even using God's name. But it doesn't make them any less evil. It's just the way Satan works. Okay. So there's, uh, there's that. And to a greater or less degree, to a greater degree, of course, on these early saints, these first century saints, they were seeing a lot of tribulation. But uh, to any faithful, devoted Christian in any age, there will be some tribulation because you're, you are because you belong to Christ, because you stand up to Him. A couple other references there we won't look at, but if you want to write down Acts 14.22, and then remember also John said at the beginning of the book that he has been in the tribulation himself, Revelation 1, uh, verse 9. Okay. These are those who have remained faithful. If you want, John, here's your answer. These are those who have remained faithful even under tribulation. These are the ones who stood strong in that house even though the world around them was shaking. They stood strong and firm in their spiritual house. Okay. So that's the first answer John has given here in the latter half of John chapter 7. Then notice the B part. They have had their robes washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 7, 14. A couple of important ideas here, and this, of course, is a verse that we need to use with our family members and friends who are not in Christ. At what point is a person washed? So you know the answer to that, Acts 22, 16. When we're baptized into Christ... We're washed, our sins are washed away. These are those who have been washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. Romans 6, 4 says, 6, 3 and 4 says, we're baptized into the death of Jesus. See? See how that just connects really lovely there? Baptized in the death of Jesus where he shed his blood. Baptism is a washing, and in that washing we're made white in the blood of the Lamb takes a lot of effort to miss that. Okay? It takes a lot of misteaching to miss that idea. But to emphasize that yes, the blood of Jesus purges us from our sin, but at what point does that happen? There is a point okay, that that happens. And John spells it out here. Right. And then these are days who, those who have made the rose white and washed the blood of the Lamb. And then the sea part they are receiving a great reward, verse 15 through 17. Now, unless um, you have a very foggy mind tonight, 
then there's no way you can read Revelation 7, 15 and 17 without just standing up and rejoicing. Okay. Um, notice the reward that's given these saints. Which ones? Their robes are white. They have been baptized. They remain faithful through the tribulation. There's a reward coming. All right. Verse uh, 15. These, here's the reward. They are before the throne of God. That's, that's the reward. Also, verse 15. They are serving Him day and night. Day and night. All right. That's our reward. And then, notice, He who sits on the throne, verse 15, will shelter them with His presence. What does your Bible say there? The English Standard says, will shelter them with His presence. What, what does your say? Say it again, Keith. Dwell among them. All right. That's the idea. Dwell among them. The presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is our reward. That ought to be good enough. For the devoted person, that is good enough. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 1.23? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. That's what he wanted to do, just be with Christ. Be with Christ. And so they are sheltering, they are sheltered with the presence of the Lord. Again, can this be? I mean, is this really the promise? Why would the Lord have such a gracious, generous spirit toward me? Why would he do this? Why, why would he offer this? Why would he open this up uh, to any of us? And so those uh, at the throne, those receiving this reward, reward, will hunger no more, neither will they thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. In other words, none of the tribulations, none, or, none of the aggravations associated with the body and the life on earth will be there in heaven, as we read from Revelation 21.4, no more death there, no more crying, no more pain, etc. Verse 17, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them through the springs of living water. Now notice that. Jesus is both Lamb and shepherd. He, the Lamb in the sense that He dies for us. Shepherd in the sense that He guides us that living water. So they are standing before the throne. They are serving the Lord. They are sheltered by His presence. And um, they are satisfied with the living waters. And then the last verse says, they will shed no tears. Shed no tears. Now who among us does not want to go to that place? What a beautiful thought. And we do not have, I don't have the words to aptly, appropriately describe all that's being described to us here in Revelation 7. But it is a powerful uh, chapter. I hope we've been able to see together this evening that the first issue is God is concerned for those on earth. Let us never forget that. Second issue is 
John gets to see the throne of God once more. And then John gets to see the great reward that's waiting for those who come out of the tribulation and are faithful. Any thoughts as we bring our chapter to a close this evening?